I've had my share of disagreements, and I suspect you have as well. Disagreements are difficult. But on the other hand, they can clarify issues for us and even open new avenues of service. Acts 15 describes two significant disagreements within the early church. One involved doctrine, and the other was a ministry issue. This is the wisdom journey. Stephen will teach you from this passage in a lesson called Decisions, Disagreements, and a Second Chance. Charles Spurgeon and Joseph Parker were both powerfully used by the Lord in the 19th century there in England, and they both pastored in the London area. In fact, they enjoyed a friendship with one another. Unfortunately, over time, some disagreements uh, arose over personal matters, and it, it separated them. Spurgeon disagreed with Parker's theater attendance, and Parker disagreed with Spurgeon smoking cigars. Spurgeon thought music should be sung without any musical instruments in the church, and Parker was pretty proud of the new organ installed in his church sanctuary. Their disagreements actually ended up in London newspapers, and that was unfortunate. The truth is, even godly Christians don't always agree over personal matters, but some disagreements are worth debating because they center around significant major issues. Well, as we sail today into Acts chapter 15, we're going to encounter two disagreements. And let me tell you, these aren't just about musical instruments in the sanctuary. These are significant matters that could very well destroy this early church. The first disagreement involves a doctrinal matter. Now, to set the stage, Paul and Barnabas have returned to Antioch after their missionary journey, and they've reported here in Acts chapter 14, verse 27, it tells us how God had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Now, frankly, Gentile believers are pouring into this New Testament church, and it's exciting. The problem is many Jewish believers, however, consider these new Gentile believers as no different from Gentile proselytes or converts to Judaism. Uh, These Gentile followers of God would would be required to submit to circumcision uh, to the law of Moses, even the dietary uh, restrictions. So now here in Acts chapter 15, we have Jewish church leaders arriving at Antioch. We're told here in verse 1, teaching Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Well, there you have it. You can't be saved unless you believe in Jesus as Messiah, plus observe that Old Testament covenant sign of circumcision. Let me tell you, this isn't a little cultural issue or disagreement. This is a core issue of the gospel. And it revolves around the most important question of the ages. What must I do to be saved? And you know, to this day, religious systems want to add something to salvation by grace, good works, penance, baptism, church membership, or or more. Well, Paul and Barnabas know the doctrinal disaster that's going to occur if these teachers win this debate and the church becomes literally bound 
to Jewish ceremony. So the debate is on, and it takes Paul and Barnabas and and these other men now to Jerusalem. The Jerusalem church gives the floor to Paul and Barnabas, and they report on God's work in the salvation of Gentiles, apart from circumcision, by the way. There are other men present from the party of the Pharisees. They step forward and they voice their objection. In fact, they say here in verse 5, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. Well, now you have Peter. He stands up and he supports the perspective of Paul and Barnabas that salvation is a gift. It's not a reward for keeping the law of Moses. In fact, Peter now recounts his own recent experience there in the home of a Gentile believer named Cornelius. That occurred back in chapter 10. We looked at that. Well, Peter says here now in verse 8 of chapter 15, God bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Peter goes on to argue that the law was an unbearable burden to the Jewish people themselves. You know, why do we want to impose it now on Gentile believers? And he wraps up his argument here in verse 11 by saying, We believe that we Jews will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they, the Gentiles, will. In other words, salvation is by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. Well, with that, Paul and Barnabas chime in here at verse 12, relating what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. So you can sort of sense the momentum here in this debate swinging toward the apostles. Now, James, the half-brother of Jesus, he happens to be the pastor-teacher of the Jerusalem church, he now steps forward and agrees here in verse 14 that God is taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. He even quotes Amos chapter 9, verses 11 to 12, which talk about Gentiles one day inheriting equal status with the Jewish people in the coming kingdom of Christ. And with that, James now delivers the final verdict here in verse 19. We should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. In other words, let's not put ceremonial obstacles up in the way of these Gentiles who come to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, wisely, to avoid you know, uh, offending uh, the, the Jewish believers, to ease the tension that's, that's been created here, they decide to send a letter. And in the letter, we're told here, they urge the Gentile believers to abstain from certain activities that would be especially offensive to the Jewish people. Now, don't misunderstand. Abstaining from these things will not grant salvation, but it will produce goodwill between the Jewish and Gentile believers. And James lists these activities here now in verse 20. Abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. Now, you need to understand that much of the meat sold in the marketplace in these days had been ritually offered to idols. So to the Jews, eating this meat made someone a participant in idolatry. 
likewise eating raw meat that hadn't been drained of blood. That was offensive to the Jews, and, and they asked that the Gentiles kindly avoid that as well. Now, concerning sexual immorality, uh, the Gentile believers are challenged to you know, clean out their closets and purify their relationships and practice sexual abstinence until marriage, and that's, of course, a, a command for us all. Now, this letter basically asks two questions of the new Gentile believers. First, what is it in your lifestyle that might offend another believer? And what is it about your lifestyle that might contradict the gospel message to unbelievers? You know, those are wonderful questions that we ought to be answering as well. That was the first disagreement and decision here in Acts chapter 15, and it was over a very important doctrinal matter. Well, now we come to the second disagreement, and it's over a ministry matter. It's not doctrinal, but it's still divisive. Here's what happens. Paul and Barnabas are planning their second missionary trip. Barnabas wants to take along his cousin, John Mark, once again. Paul disagrees. You may remember that Mark had thrown in the towel. He had abandoned them on their first missionary journey, sort of left them in a lurch. And as far as Paul's concerned, he's unreliable, he's not worth the trouble, and he shouldn't be allowed to come along. Well, Barnabas wants to give Mark another chance. He's convinced. Mark has repented. He's matured. But Paul isn't going to budge. Well, the result is an unfortunate division. And I'm sure it made it into the newspapers around their area. It certainly became known within the church at large. In fact, verse 39 says, They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now, although I believe that these men should have reached some sort of compromise, in the plan of God, you know, this disagreement created two missionary teams instead of one. Their disagreement wasn't doctrinal. It was personal, like Spurgeon and Parker. Well, they simply saw things differently. Frankly, they saw people differently. I think if we met Paul, we'd discover he was a man who was he was black and white. He was a pioneer. Barnabas, well, he's a gracious bridge builder. Well, this is the last time in the New Testament Barnabas is mentioned. But his refusal to give up on Mark, that's going to pay off. In fact, many years later, as the Apostle Paul is writing his final letter to Timothy, he tells Timothy to go and get Mark and bring him to where Paul is under a house arrest. And Paul actually writes these words in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. Mark is very useful to me for ministry. <laughs> well, what do you know? Mark was worth a second chance after all. And Paul knows, by the way, as he's writing to Timothy, that the church has read the book of Acts and this particular chapter. And he knows uh, that the church knows all about his disagreement with Barnabas over Mark. Well, now, near the end of his life, Paul wants to set the record straight and, and tell the church at large that Mark, well, he's a faithful, valuable minister of the gospel, after all. Oh, and by the way, don't forget, Mark is the man who will go on to write 
the gospel of Mark, which has blessed the church to this very day. Well, we're out of time for today. Until we set sail again, beloved, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Today's lesson along the wisdom journey is called Decisions, Disagreements, and a Second Chance. Stephen Davey is the president of Wisdom International. He developed this series to help you walk wisely through life. Learn more about us at wisdomonline.org. Then join us next time to continue your wisdom journey through God's Word. God's Word.